Hi and welcome to the Happy Project podcast. My name is Becky sitting at the table over there in Cedric Sky City, and you're listening to yet another episode with us. And uh, well, today is going to be a pretty fun topic. They're all pretty fun topics, but I have to say today is going to be a bit more. Hmm. Like our last two topics were information heavy, right? Yeah. This one we're gonna wade a little bit into personal experiences and uh, extrapolations from research that we found and uh, what it's like actually living here, right? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay, I'm not prepared for this, but let's see if I can answer this. This is the question. Sure. Are you white? You know, I've had people say <laughs> that I am on the inside back in the day. Oh, okay. But I have enough self-awareness ah. and physical awareness to know that I'm not. <laughs> physical awareness. Mm. <laughs> I am sure you have heard of the term white privilege. Of course. Yeah. And what does that mean to you? I think... White privilege is, it is a certain type of privilege that is, I don't want to say bestowed upon mm-hmm. the white man and mm-hmm. white woman, but it is sort of a, mm, it's something that is just naturally given to you depending on the context and society that you're in. For example, in the States, yeah, there is a certain type of privilege that you have being white are you are you sucking on something i am or? yeah it was, <laughs> it was a little awkward right yeah like i realized you're, i didn't finish my mint your before jaw we started. is jutting out a little bit <laughs> i'm trying not to be like very noticeable but okay let me noticeable. finish the mint okay it's yeah. just a mint you finish the mint uh and then <laughs> and then we'll continue this conversation <laughs> i'm sorry i was trying to be very subtle with that okay yeah. so white privilege uh to me is basically a certain type of privilege that you have. And it's a privilege that allows you to go throughout society with maybe a a leg up or Mm. just with an advantage in different areas. And it it can mean different things in different contexts, but essentially you have a certain privilege privilege that people who are not white, uh, maybe those that are brown, black, or darker skin or from another part of the world Mm -hmm. uh, that they don't have. Mm. And it's something that, to me, it's, yes, there are cases where it's very overt, but Mm -hmm. I think it's more times than not just built into either the systems or just built into everyday life and people's experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, again, you can't really define it with one stroke of a brush. It's just, it just kind of manifests itself in different ways Mm. with different people. But I think there is an overall privilege that, um, that basically why people have in their context or even across the world Mm -hmm. in different places. Yeah, I was about to take it a step farther because I feel like we hear the term white privilege, white privilege. Often in Western societies, we hear it a lot in the U.S. right now, especially. But uh, asking more, what about in places where white people aren't naturally part of the system? Mm, Was the system built around them then what does white privilege look like there and in particular we're going to ask that question white privilege in korea does it exist here and what might that look like but um first i guess we should yeah briefly define this white privilege concept right right and this is a this could be a sensitive topic Mm. uh obviously when we're a lot of our topics are sensitive. This one in particular, especially with the cultural climate today. Yeah. Uh, in the West and also here in the East, mm-hmm. I would say, um, in some form or another. Yeah, so we just want to say that we're going to tread as uh, cautiously, but also as honestly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cautiously and honestly. Right. Like we're going to tiptoe but we're going to be naked. Dive in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm saying cautiously <laughs> in that. Not that we're going to, you know, hide the truth or facts as we see it or know it, but sure. uh, we want to just present it in the the best way. Mm. We want to present it in a way that uh, reflects the reality, basically. Okay, that's yeah. good. That's very good. Yeah, and I feel like still people struggle with 
white privilege as a term. Mm, yeah. I think depending on who you ask, your answer might come back differently. But uh, kind of as, let's just give it an, an overall definition. Sure. I was kind of, I was looking into white privilege. What is white privilege? How do people define white privilege? And well, first off, you have to step backwards and define racism, right? Yeah. And I found this, this article that was describing racial bias and racism and how there's a difference between those two and then white privilege reflecting off of that. So I'll just read through some of those notes I pulled from it just so we can move on to the next part of the conversation. But basically this person was saying racial bias is a belief. You're believing something about people who look different from you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Racism is what happens when that belief translates into action. Right. And this insinuates that a lot of people have these biases already. Sure. But not everybody is acting on them. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think there is uh, maybe a misunderstanding with the term racism versus prejudice mm. or a racial bias, which I think racial bias and prejudice is more in the same category. Yeah. Versus racism is an action based off of those prejudices yeah. or biases. Yeah. And it can dip into like discrimination, which is an action. Yes. Yeah. Great. Mm. Well, following up on that, we say, okay, then in this, this concept of racism participating, acting on it, an action that might not look like an action that is still yet racist behavior is silence. In action. In action. Yeah. So people, they're saying that racism manifests itself also in silence. And this is kind of now where white privilege is starting to appear. Mm -hmm. This inaction, the sense, well, if it doesn't bother me, then we don't have a problem here, right? But the thing with with um or some examples would be flesh colored band-aids when we say flesh colored band-aids what color flesh are you talking about right right or when you have hair products you'll have the hair product aisle and then ethnic hair product aisles which is much smaller and out of the way mm -hmm. this isn't this is another example just or how things how people are portrayed in the media white people are glamorized versus black people might be as violent figures so these are all examples of this white privilege and i think it creates discomfort with people who hear the term white privilege. One, because in general, I think white people don't often look at themselves and define themselves as I'm white, right? Mm -hmm, but all right. the time you will hear, oh, who was that guy you're talking about? Oh, I'm talking about the black guy. Yeah. R right away. This is already just a term that's labeled. But white people don't listen to themselves as, oh, I'm the white person in here. I'm the white person here. Hey, guys, I'm the white person. So there can be some kind of discomfort to white people to being defined by their race, right. for one. And then the other thing with the word privilege, because people insinuate privilege with having more right. or a better life. But we know that there are white people who also struggle, people who are on the bottom rung, right. rural classes who might be feeling like, well, I'm not privileged. So why are you saying I have white privilege? So I think this is why there can be some kind of misunderstanding or pushback to hearing the term white privilege. Right, which is very important for us to define semantically what we mean by white privilege mm -hmm. because in and of itself on the surface, it could get easily confused. Mm. But there are nuances to that word that we need to discuss. And I think once people understand the nuances of it, then I think less people can argue against the actual term sure. and the existence of this privilege. Yes, yeah, so kind of to wrap it up, all of those things we just mentioned, but as you said, it's partly built into the system or the society or a structure that you, uh, as a white person, were born into and given just simply because you were born into that system. Right. All right? So this is loosely our definition of white privilege, and clearly you can go more and more into that. But we're going to leave it there for now. Um, but I, I do highly recommend people do their own research and study on this and, and ask your own questions. But now we're going to ask it, is white privilege the same in Korea as it is in other multinational countries? Oh, Because the thing is, it's different. Multinational countries, like the U.S. is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. There's people from all over the world living together and you should be used to that by now, right? Oh, my neighbor's Indian, this neighbor's Jewish. Okay, we all live together in the same space. But Korea looks a little bit different. It's more homogenous, right. and people are not encountering those who look vastly different from themselves on a daily basis. Right. Yeah, so is it the same in Korea than other multinational countries? Is it? Let's find out. <laughs> 
So in March of 2020, mm-hmm. just last year, yeah. the Korean Herald, uh, which is a journalistic uh, uh, company mm-hmm. here, basing in Korea, uh, they did a survey, and 68.3 percent said that they experienced some sort of racial discrimination. This is a survey among uh, foreign nationals. Foreign, yeah, foreign nationals living in Korea, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so the 68.3% experienced racial discrimination and uh, 62.3% of people said it's because of their Korean language skill uh-huh. or I guess maybe lack, lack of, of yeah. more so. Uh, because they were not Korean, uh, made up about 59.7%, which is a big one. Mm-hmm. And uh, just simply because of their race, 44.7% yeah. of people uh, claimed that. That's that's huge that's i mean those are really high numbers yeah and interesting how people in korea can pinpoint specifically why because i i I feel like um maybe in the u.s people are more um, it's it can be hiding under the surface a little bit Mm -hmm. nobody wants to outright say it's because you're not korean we are treating you this way right but in korea i feel like it's a it's a bit more apparent yeah oh they're waking they're not korean so we don't we don't treat Waikukins here, right? Right. This is this is actually coming out in society in a, in a more obvious manner. Sure. I, I feel like so this is why it's interesting. You could pinpoint it down directly. Right. What yeah. What's happening? Yeah, and I can, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it in a bit. But I could totally relate to, um, I guess, some of these reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, the Korean language skill, and also because um, I'm not fully Korean. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Uh, yes, being half Korean uh, does give me a little bit of a leg up, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, generally speaking, within the system that is set up here in Korea, I'm still not Korean Korean, mm-hmm. which is a term right. that we use when we talk to each other. Isn't that Korean, interesting? Korean. Yeah, we have to emphasize that. Yeah. And it means something. And people know that. Oh, are you Korean or Korean Korean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, oh, well, no, I'm not Korean Korean. Right. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I can I can totally relate to uh, the participants of this survey. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about the current atmosphere in Korea. So we already mentioned this survey, but we also know Korea has a somewhat supremacist attitude towards immigrants, mm-hmm. migrants coming into Korea, particularly migrants from countries that is, economically speaking, poorer than Korea. So, uh, for example, Korea will look down on immigrants from Southeast Asia who are coming here and taking menial labor work. They will just automatically look down on you. And even if, say, your family's super rich in Vietnam and you came to Korea because you want to study, it doesn't matter. Still, again, we're using a lot of blanket statements here Mm -hmm. because the thing is we don't have a lot of hard facts. Um, Still, in general, Korean society will look down on you and be like, oh, well, she's a Vietnamese girl coming here to Korea trying to get money. They don't know that maybe you're actually really rich and you're right. opening a business here, right? Right. So this this does exist, I would say, in Korea at this point. So what about anti-discrimination bills? Do they exist in Korea? Do you know if they do? Um, well, the last I've heard was there wasn't any hard, fast laws. Mm-hmm. And so as far as bills, I would assume there are probably bills in existence, but I don't know if they've been passed or seriously looked into being passed into legislation. Yes, yeah. This is true. I mean, because I know we've talked about it in the past. You don't know why? Because I keep getting those text messages. Mm-hmm. This is, I, it finally put the pieces together. Because I kept getting these text messages from a Christian organization in Korea. And they kept saying, we, the youth of this so-and-so Christian organization, is against the anti-discrimination bill. Come to our rally to figure out why. Read this newsletter to learn more. And I was like, wait a minute. You're, you're a Christian organization and you're still so anti-discrimination your anti anti-discrimination law mm. i found that to be a bit at odds with what the christian religion originally should be teaching mm-hmm. um but the more i looked into i realized it's because that the anti-discrimination laws here in korea are trying to include the lgbtq community right and a lot of christian groups here in korea are against that and so because these anti-discrimination laws yes they're there but they're very thin they are not really held up strongly and then so they're trying to pass more another one was proposed just 2020 and it's still been failed it hasn't yet passed and the reason being is because it's blanketing all things gender race orientation and korea is still very mm, 
let's say it's very contentious to talk about LGBTQ rights here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the anti-discrimination bill has not yet strongly been passed and uphold here. So that's another thing to consider for when we're talking about racism that happens here in Korea. And then, um, of course, now in Korea, we're having a lot of more mixed kids being born. Mm -hmm. This is something that's going to happen and be more prevalent, especially as this current generation is getting older. Right. And we got to come face to face with that. Right. And Korea can't be like, you know, as there are more multinational families or mm. multiracial, multiethnic families, it can't be like, okay, we, 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 we're not going to deal with this. We're going to keep doing things as we normally do it because mm. they have to face the reality of what's really happening. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Korea is going to have to really deal with this issue. And I think right now is the, I want to say this season or this period of time is the beginning of Korea really having to, to deal with the reality that Korea isn't going to remain mm. such a strong homogenous nation anymore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that the what it means to be korean might need to be shifted in the minds of people yeah yeah so korea is uh i think facing that right now maybe we should dive historically into why that has actually been korea's strong point because mm-hmm. korea we're always saying oh korea is very homogenous yeah they try to stay between themselves and it's worked up to now and there's a reason for that and i think it's important that we maybe we should lay that historical context sure first. right because as I say with any individual, mm. uh, there's always a reason why they behave the way they behave, mm-hmm. or there's always a reason why they have a certain mindset, good or bad. And I think the same thing can be said of a nation or a country that has a history. There's always a reason why nations yeah. and the people represented in that nation feels the way they do or views life the way they do. Right. So this is where we can take somewhat of an empathetical approach as well to try to see mm. And understand from the perspective of, say, Korea or anyone that we're talking about. Not to say that we agree, but at least we can come from a place of understanding. And that's how we deal with these issues. That's an excellent point. Yeah. So let's, uh, I I tried to, I I was reading through all of these articles and some of them were pretty heavy. uh, But I was just trying to get a general timeline of Korea's interaction with... um, Western countries. Yeah. And this, let me just give you a a quick brief overview, which will help us to understand more now Korea's relationship with the concept of white power. Yeah. Okay. So there's this phrase in Korea called 고래 싸움에 새우 등 터진다. And that means when whales fight, the shrimp's back is broken, which sounds a little (laughs) silly in English. But basically it's saying that when these two big individuals have a fight, who is the one who suffers? The small person. And this has been Korea historically. These Korea surrounded by these big international powers. We've got China over here, then the U.S. getting involved, and then Russia and Japan, all of this happening. And Korea was the small country whose back was broken mm-hmm. over their fights. So this is a, a phrase used to describe that, and I think it, it explains pretty well what went on. So China as Korea's neighbor, large, was very technologically advanced, the society for thousands of years in East Asia, they were dominating. And they had a lot of influence on Korea, all the way up until the modern times. And um, Korea has always been the focus of interest between China and Japan and Russia, and then of course the United States, as time went on. And then there were invasions by the Japanese that was happening, and Korea was being attacked by the Mongols. There was just so much going on. Right. So Korea enforced the policy of very strict, limited contact with other countries. This is why Korea was known as the Hermit Kingdom for hundreds of years because they closed the borders. No one in, no one out because right. we have suffered so much because of these outside influences, right? We had the Japanese colonial period where Korea was oppressed very much by Japan at that time. And then it was during the latter half of the 19th century when the Chinese empire was declining. This is when the Western powers were getting very interested in East Asia. Oh, Korea, what's all that? And Britain, France, the US, they tried to open up Korea to trade and diplomacy starting in about the 1860s and Korea always resisted. No, we don't want that. Then Christianity was starting to spread, first through China, coming to Korea. And we can see the early American Protestant missionaries who came to Korea, who were those people? 
typically youth from American middle class homes. Let's translate that white people. <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine any middle class young black Christians from America coming to Korea. Definitely not. So, this would have been Korea's, I guess, introduction to this Christian white American society. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about this in our Christmas episode, actually, because we were talking about how those missionaries brought a lot of the Christmas culture yeah, right, and traditions. Right. But at that time, American missionaries, they were middle class, comfortable. Yeah, they meant well, I suppose. But they basically created little American colonies <laughs> in Korea. They were safe, they were comfortable, they were white. And so they were showing Korea, this is the spirit of Christ. This is what it means. And it also introduced the spirit of commercialism. So this, again, is another introduction to quote-unquote American culture. So this is kind of um, the, the brief history. And then let's talk about, very quickly, the war. When the war happened, the American forces entered Korea. This is the fact that really surprised me mm -hmm. when I was reading. And I never, ever considered this. There was no reason prior for Koreans to naturally have a dislike for black people, mm -hmm. let's say. Right. Because there wasn't much interaction going on. Sure. But who did they greatly interact with? American GIs. And at the time when the American forces entered Korea, in America, they had just stopped segregating between black and white soldiers. Right. It was very recent. So naturally, those behaviors that they would see between the soldiers, the American GIs, that's what Amer or Koreans would learn on how white people treated black people. Right. I never considered that. that. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because again, we're, we're, yeah, even though desegregation happened around that time, it's, I mean, as we all know, even mm -hmm. up to today, there, it, there are still remnants and baggages of that. Yeah. So just imagine being in that period of time in the 50s and, and even 60s as the U.S. military really planted their roots mm -hmm. here um, in South Korea. Just getting this sort of narrative from the white soldiers mm. about black people. Superiority and yeah. inferiority. Yeah, right? making fun of black people, mm. uh, things like that. Uh, so, and you could see, I mean, I, I could imagine that the Koreans are looking at these white soldiers as, oh, they're more powerful. They're, mm -hmm. They know what they're talking about because they're, they put themselves in a position of power. So yeah. naturally... The Korean people are like, okay, so I guess these guys are the ones that are either in charge or mm -hmm. they know what they're talking about. Uh, they're the ones that are leading, mm -hmm. you know, and then the leaders of the military, all white. Yeah. You know? Yeah, entirely. And Korea's society is already set up in the sense of status and hierarchy. Yeah. And so now when we have these outside forces coming in and creating a new sense of hierarchy, Korea would, I think it, it, it made very sense, a lot of sense to naturally fall into this concept. Oh, these people are on top, these people are on bottom. Because Korea was also trying to fit themselves as well into where's our status and our hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And uh, on top of that, you know, we had the perceived third world, quote unquote, countries. They are the ones who are dark skin. They're the ones who aren't as wealthy as we are. And then always this idea that if you had pale skin, it meant you were richer because you didn't have to work outside. So I think all of these in combination, plus the lack of interaction with um, darker skinned people from other countries in Korea, and plus the media perceptions placed on them, was all brought in by Western forces. It's no wonder that today still there exists this concept of white is better, black is worse sure. in Korea. Right. And this is where we can have or take that empathetic approach mm -hmm. in seeing from the eyes of Korean people, just imagine uh, experiencing everything that they've experienced over, you know, the, the several hundreds of years. We can easily go back to history and just recount the events that has happened. And we can easily say, yes, this country evaded during this time. And then there was the Japanese colonization of this time. But just imagine the the emotional toll that actually the people had to live through during mm -hmm. that time. And then you couple that into last century with more, uh, you know, the capitalism and the commercialism and all of the Western ideals starting to come in. Yeah. And you put all of that together. And not only that, but like, if you think about it, especially during that time around the Korean War, 
Korea looked at the U.S. military highly. Mm-hmm. You know, they as you know top allies, and really mm-hmm. they were a huge part in them breaking away from the colonization, you know, and from the war. So, uh, you know, there was a certain respect that they had mm-hmm. for the military, at least at the time, and so all of that plays a part into developing their paradigm and how yeah. they look yeah. at you know race and culture. Yeah. That is so well said. I totally agree with you. I was trying to find, um, did, were there extensive research held about all of this? Because these are, these are things, again, extrapolating from what I've read, these articles and resources I found. But I, I couldn't find anything specifically saying, this is what people think in Korea based on this research, etc. Mm-hmm. But I did find one article that... Um, I I thought was very revealing in many aspects. And this was called Cross-Racial Cultural Dating Preferences Amongst Chinese, Japanese, and Korean International Students in an American University. So these are the international students coming to the States to study there. And basically, they were asking them, which kind of person would you consider as a most desirable partner and why? And obviously, a lot of these things that we just talked about now They did affect these students and in their choices for a romantic partner. But essentially, it came to the conclusion that they would consider white people having the highest standing and possessing the largest cultural capital. And then those who could somehow win that position of being quote-unquote white were the ones who could get good education, the ones Mm -hmm. who had better jobs. You know, if you had lighter skin color, then you were kind of honorary white, for example. And so a lot of these international students... they adopted these negative stereotypes that they saw in their American counterparts, in the American media, um, because they oftentimes lacked a deep understanding of slavery, historical, institutional racism that's still happening today. And it seems that many of these students, when asked, they would think that, oh, why, for example, in the States, a lot of African-Americans, why did they suffer from slavery and poverty today? And a lot of them would think it's personal incompetence and just misfortune. Yeah. Because there's a lack of education and they're being influenced by what they're hearing and seeing around them. So that white privilege, in a way, stems just directly from Western societies and just this power disbalance that has happened historically with Korea and bigger nations around them. Right. So let's fast forward a little bit to some more modern times. And as as Korea is becoming more multicultural, as we're seeing kids who are being bilingual now, who are growing up in households with mixed cultures, we got to talk about this. Yeah. We got to talk about white privilege even here in Korea and the the systematic racism that I believe has somehow been fostered on Korean soil Mm -hmm. due to outside influences. And so there's an article that came out in 2015 from these researchers, and they were asking this question about how do we discuss race in a bilingual classroom, which is a very uh, excellent question to ask, because that's that's the reality we are going to face here in Korea, especially now that we're having mixed kids growing up. So they came to the conclusion that children start to understand racial differences at a very early age. They, even as young as three or as four, are using racial and ethnic concepts as important, integrative, and symbolically creative tools in the daily construction of their social lives. So basically saying that children, even that young, are understanding there's differences, racial differences, and they're using those to distinguish themselves from each other, from right. other groups, okay? So the way that this, these researchers uh, were trying to study this is they used literature, multicultural literature, and they would show these students or they would read these kids' books with uh, the characters looking different from the kids in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And when they first started that, they had one book that had a girl who was black on the front, a kid on the front. And the kids resisted reading this book. So we don't want to read that book. And when they were asking them why and trying to figure out, okay, why don't you want to, you know, read more about this, this girl? A lot of times the kids would feel frustrated. They would feel like this book isn't their experience and their culture. They don't, they want to read, they don't want to read that. But they had more resistance to black characters Mm -hmm. because it was kind of understood in the broader context of 
white supremacy. So, right. oh, well, we don't want to read about that girl because she's not pretty is what one of the kids would say. Or we don't want to read about her because she's so different. She's not like us. And so even at that very young age, students were understanding there's a difference between us. And so in the classroom, uh, they noticed that students whose language was the minority or they didn't speak the same language as everyone else, they were the ones who were experiencing racism on a daily basis. So even in Korea where maybe the kids will not be so different as white and black, maybe they're mixed, they're still part Korean mm -hmm. because their language might be different. Maybe they don't speak Korean fluently here. We know this is still going to be an issue. And how are we going to address that? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing just to tag on to that is uh, African-Americans comprise an extremely small percentage of the Korean population. Mm -hmm. And the only tools for Koreans to learn about African-Americans, and this also includes students, is the mass media. Yeah. Korean high school students ranked black people highest in categories like laziness and aggression and lowest in categories like diligence and hygiene. Yeah. And you have to wonder, where do they get this sort of idea from? Right. And a big part of it, again, it's just, I mean, there's not one single source, but it's just sort of just this tone that they pick up because mm -hmm. kids... Uh, whether they be very young, three or four, preschool age, or even high schoolers, they, they pick this up from their surroundings, whether they're, they hear stuff from their parents mm -hmm. or they're watching the media. Uh, they, they get these negative stereotypes reinforced yeah. yeah, through the music they listen to. And here's the thing. When I first moved to Korea three years ago, I came as a teacher. Yeah. And so I primarily taught English to elementary school and middle school students. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing was... I, because I worked in a different, uh, non-traditional type of school where we would host English training camps for mm -hmm. students in different schools in the city, we would get a turnover, turnover every week of different students. So I was able to, to really experience how Korean students, you know, yeah. really saw a culture from like, you know, I, I didn't have the same set of students basically throughout mm -hmm. the whole year. I just had different students and I quickly found out how what everything we've been talking about is this is is totally accurate because a lot of these students did have these certain stereotypes about black people specifically mm -hmm. because I was the black and Korean teacher, mm -mm. right? And no one knew that I was actually half Korean because I'd never revealed that until the last day of camp oh. where we would have like this uh, <laughs> ask me anything uh -huh. um, like session with the teachers. Yeah. So no one knew that I was half Korean. So people would say, uh, you know, they would just say, oh, black people are really good at basketball mm -hmm. or sports or uh, they're they're very good at rapping. Mm -hmm. That's another thing because these kids are into hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, I mean, those don't sound like negative stereotypes, but no. the thing is you can't group all of black people into these categories mm -hmm. because I think what these kids how they look at black people is these are the most desirable attributes that they have, that mm -hmm. they're talented in sports and they can rap, but they never say, Oh, black people are smart or right, inventors right. or innovative or anything like that. Yeah. So those are the things that I was able to experience firsthand. Um, and also all of them thought I looked like black Panther. Uh, well, actually, not Black Panther, uh -huh. but uh, who was the who was the bad character with the braids? What uh, Michael they, B. Jordan? They played? thought you looked like him. Yeah, yeah. No. So is because my hair. Oh, your hair. Oh, okay, I can see that. Yeah. Which you know, so that again, <laughs> I was just like, y'all have not seen a lot of black people. That's funny. So, uh, I mean, it's a it's a good compliment. I'll take that. But again, I was able to see just how these Korean kids had a certain mindset mm. and attitude towards black people, in which. Many times they're not negative per se, right. but there is an undertone yeah. of negativity there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Korea's history is just so different than other countries when it comes to this, this struggle with discrimination and racism in a, in a very close interaction with each other. Because Korea, it's been those nations and then us. While in the U.S. or in other Western nations, it's like, you're still one of us, but mm -hmm. you're also not one of us. So it's a different type of struggle that exists in Korea. And and again, I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's outright dislike. I feel like it's more somehow learned or or it's impressions yeah. that come, right, from other 
outside influences. Something to follow up on that article that I was talking about for the kids. This is the good news mm -hmm. that the teacher throughout the year was doing this research with her students, and it's all bilingual. So when you read the article, it's in Korean and English mixed. And you can see how the children's concept changes throughout her research. At first, it's very, no, we don't want to, no, no, no. And they separate between themselves and other students. Well, I am white and Korean. Mm -hmm. You are black and Korean. And there's, there's a separation that's happening at first. And it becomes very apparent when they're reading these books. And then as the research goes on and the teacher talks about it and asks questions, you can see how the children, it's not innate. It's learned. Right. And sometimes they don't even know where they're learning this negative ideas about other people and other races. But when it's addressed, corrected, then we move on. And it, it showed how the children by the end were not even noticing mm -hmm. if the character on the book looked different from them. Right. And... Um, I think this is a very valuable thing we should recognize, especially especially when we're having more mixed kids growing up in Korea, mm -hmm. because this is something we can help to stop as the next generation grows. Right. So there's a lot of takeaways with that research being done in that, you know, because the kids were, they were, they changed quickly, you know, mm. once the issue was brought to the forefront and addressed. So one of the takeaways from that, that I see is you have to bring the issue to the forefront. You have to address the issue and really make a dialogue or discussion about it yeah. so that you can move on from it and progress from it instead of what we've been doing, at least in the States. And in, in many ways, what I see has been done here is we just pretend like it doesn't exist mm -hmm. or we say, oh, I'm not like that. But, you know, I don't have that issue, so I don't right. have to worry about it. I don't have to address it. Uh, I think that we need to just bring it up and then talk about it. Yeah. And then, and then from there, I think the more that we're willing to be honest with it and mm. to confront this reality and the fact that we might be guilty, the sooner it is we can deal with it and move on from it. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why we haven't been able to move past this issue, mm. at least mm -hmm. in the States, is because we haven't really, everyone as a whole hasn't dealt with the issue yeah. and, and wrestled with it. Right. Yeah. And I foresee in Korea, not to be a doomsayer, but I foresee that we, it, could, it could have this same terrible impact on Korea because we haven't really talked about this in the open. Nobody's really direct about multiculturalism and mm -hmm. how to fight racism and white supremacist attitudes here. More than white supremacy, I would say white privilege attitudes here. And, uh, and that's because it hasn't affected everyone. Nobody's really, it's not like come across them at most points. It's usually people who have mixed kids or who are mixed themselves are the ones thinking about this because it's their daily life yeah. that they're dealing with all the time. Right. But Korea now is becoming more heterogeneous as a society, and if we don't talk about it now, then we're gonna be behind the times again. And maybe we're gonna have so many people suffering from these racist behaviors or biases because we didn't address it now. Right. We are fortunate, I believe, as Korea to witness other countries and see what we can learn, how to avoid certain pitfalls mm -hmm. or some things that have been done right. And we can get ahead of the game here. And this is partly why we do the Happy Project. Oh, yeah. I think uh. this, is, this is huge because we're bringing up these issues. And the thing is, as we've learned in some ways, me and you, the hard way, uh, is a lot of people in Korea, not everybody mm. for sure, but there's a good percentage, I would say, of people, they're not ready to really deal with this issue. They're sure. not ready to hear it. They, they don't want to have anything to do with it. It's, it's hard to address it in yourself. Yeah. And I mean, that, that really goes for anyone. Mm -hmm. In the States, it's the same thing. That's mm -hmm. why we have the, the problem now. But with, with what we do with the Happy Project and with just who we are and just us constantly talking about it, I think we are in some part contributing at least to the progression of going towards, I don't want to say a, like a non-racist mm -hmm. or non-discriminatory type of society, but at least we're, we're chipping away. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I hope so. It's like we're digging for the gold, for the diamond. <laughs> I don't know where you dig for yeah. what, but you're digging <laughs> Great for something. Metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh-huh. it's just like we're chipping away little by little. Yeah. And there's still a lot to go, a lot of work to do, but uh, we, yeah, I mean, we just have to address it. Hmm. We have to. Um, and I think the sooner we're ready to to deal with it, Mm-mm-mm. the sooner we can change. It sounds so simple. Easier said than done. But yeah, I mean, I have so much to say about it. uh, And perhaps we can talk about uh, this a little bit more in future episodes. Mm. But uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I think it's just a matter of presenting this tough, tough issue Mm -hmm. and being willing to to learn and admit if we're not a victim of these biases, but we're a part of the problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very heavy topic and a lot of it comes down to how you're communicating it. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, again, we're going to talk about the anti-discrimination laws in Korea. Why does it get so bogged down? It's because people are forgetting we're trying to protect people. We're trying to protect these groups of people who have no protection. But we can't look at that. We can't accept it because we disagree with this one section. Mm -hmm. We don't like gay people, so none of you get protection. We're forgetting here what's the real purpose. We're trying to move past our biases that have been damaging and hurting other people. But I feel like because in the communication, things get mixed up, people's emotions get hot, then nothing's happening. And so this is why when we're talking about these kind of topics, it's important to keep a cool head and to understand the context. And that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Um, well, why privilege in Korea? Maybe just to give some more concrete examples. What would that might look like in Korea? And uh, some examples that I was thinking about, perfect speaking is plastic surgery Yeah, in Korea. Because Mm -hmm. if you're here in Korea, you're going to see plastered all over the walls, um, advertisements for clinics. And they show these beautiful, pale-skinned girls with big eyes and little pert noses. They like to get those rhinoplasty. And it's, uh, it's almost this Eurasian look. Yeah. Quote unquote ideal beauty. Yeah, basically like you. <laughs> <laughs> like You're a, so flattering. So no, like yeah, the thing is, uh even though there is a distinct look that Koreans have mm. or that is marketed as a standard of beauty, there are a lot of influences from the West that you can see. And one of the most common plastic surgery procedures is what? It's the double eyelid yeah, surgery. Yeah, the double eyelid. Right. And this, if you don't know what that is, it's basically where, because uh, a lot of Asians, mm. including Koreans, have mono eyelids, mm. which gives them the Asian looking eyes. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know where it started, but at some point, uh, it wasn't really a desirable thing. Mm. A lot of Korean people feel like, well, if I had a fold or like double eyelids, as they call it, yeah. uh, I can look more beautiful. I can look even more <sighs> Western. I've heard a lot of Korean people exactly. say they wanted to look more Western. And I would venture to say that by Western, they mean white. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, that's one of the most common procedures. And even high schoolers or post-high school, college yeah. age, that's sort of a common time to it's get It's a it. high school gift, yeah. oftentimes, a graduation from the parents. Gift, right? Yeah. yeah, because the thing is, if you think more and more about specifically just the eyelid, yeah. it's because there's a sort of demonization of the monolid. Mm-hmm. Oh, you look Asian, yeah. right? So there's one, a demonization, putting that down, to the glamorization of the double eyelid, the white woman with the big eyes and the eyelashes. So they're saying, oh, the world media is saying, this is the pretty look, this is pretty mm-hmm. girls. On YouTube, No, this is no you know, shaming for YouTubers, but who's very prominent? Who has always been very prominent? White YouTuber girls who are doing their eye makeup, and so they look very pretty, and they get you know, so much attention. Mm -hmm. No wonder people are watching that Korean girls. Oh, I want to look like that, but she has the double eyelid. I can't do my makeup because I don't have the double eyelid. So this is another thing that kind of propels this concept that having the double eyelid is going to make you prettier, going to make you more successful. Korea is very much about the status and the hierarchy. And this just seems to be another kind of rippling effect that has reached to Korean society. Mm -hmm. Double eyelid. Right, right. And I mean, there are tons of other procedures, of course, like, mm. uh, you know, 
they want the smaller nose mm-hmm. because it's more beautiful mm-hmm. and more like a like a little pointed nose people like the ridge they yeah. like the pointed nose here right that's very right. common and and we can go on and on about the plastic surgery but i yeah. think you guys get the point uh, i guess another example uh that i'm not super familiar with i'm not gonna lie but i you know apparently uh a lot of thai and filipinos are obsessed with the korean look so i would say it's because of this and mm-hmm. again uh, understand that a lot of we have we're doing for this episode is trying to make educated hypotheses sure okay speculations but korea has emerged among asian markets as very successful beautiful k-pop idols this concept of oh, this is the beautiful look but we know that korea is greatly influenced by the western look korea has emerged as a stronger nation economically speaking and now they are global players so compare that some other South Asian, East Asian countries who have not yet reached economically that standard. And so looking up to your neighbors, oh, Korea, wow, those women are so beautiful. And then now plastic surgery is so prevalent. It's cheaper than going to the West mm-hmm. to get plastic surgery there, but you can still achieve this certain Western beauty look. So in Thailand and the Philippines especially, the Korean look is very, very popular. A lot of this is due to dramas and K-pop. Right. Yeah. Isn't it weird? It's like a waterfall. Like here's America right. waterfalling and into Korea. Korea who's waterfalling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that uh, you'll see, especially here in Korea and other Asian countries as well, are whitening products. Yeah. And so this is where it make you know, these are products that are designed to make your skin look whiter in one way or another. So mm-hmm. not necessarily, it's not like skin bleaching or anything Some like that. products have been. Yeah, the, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I I think the the ones that I'm more familiar with are the ones like the over the counter like whitening creams yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I even like uh, a a four in one little moisturizer thing that mm-hmm. I even used for my first two years here that you were like you were hating on mm-hmm. uh, because <laughs> I like to do all my steps in one go. Uh-huh. Even on the bottle it says it's a whitening uh, type of oh interesting yeah solution which I didn't use it for that. Yeah, obviously yeah. I mean I just I liked it and. And it didn't whiten my skin. <laughs> I didn't expect uh-huh. it to. Uh, but that that is something that is quite common. Yeah. And that's because, why, let's just call it what it is. Whiter is beautiful, mm. generally speaking. That's what's marketed here mm-hmm, in Korea. Mm-hmm. Now, I think a lot of people who, let's just say they're into K-pop or Korean culture from the West, they see Korea, you're never going to see, rarely are you going to see someone who has darker skin in korea mm-hmm. as a celebrity yeah there are those out there are a lot of people that are you know darker yeah toned um and so you're never gonna see that mm. in the media yeah at least in the forefront it's it's not common for sure mm-hmm. or they play specific types of characters right right yeah. so uh that's that's another thing mm-hmm. uh, that is an example another thing is uh things that are more subtle for example if you're considered non-korean you're expected automatically to speak english mm-hmm. this is uh this has a lot to do with the power play right it's the powerful country it's their language which is prevalent mm-hmm. give a good example after world war ii say germany had one we'd probably all be speaking german if you're living in the west right because mm-hmm. it's a power play and uh however u.s britain came on top etc so now english is the common tongue when we think worldwide. So if people in Korea see you and they know you're not Korean, doesn't matter where you're from. You could be from France. You could be from Germany. But you're not Korean. Therefore, you speak English. Right. That's just the expectation. But you might not. But it's just, it's a bit, it's kind of this this subtle separation and just assumptions Mm -hmm. that are being made. And especially if you're white, right away, it's, oh, well, you speak English. Right. Obviously. Why? Because because white people are educated. White people are, you know, richer. They probably travel. They're probably from the States. This (laughs) is, this is an assumption that is made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I even thought about, um. One of the more popular younger models, black and Korean model, Han Hyun-min. Mm. Same thing happens with him, Mm-mm-mm. actually. You know, he's he's not, he doesn't have the traditional Korean look, no. even though he's half Korean. Uh, and his, he's not American. He's not from, his dad is not from an English-speaking country. I forget which right. African country he's Nigeria. from. I think Nigeria. Sure. Um, but uh, he deals with that all the time. People trying to speak English to him, mm-hmm. you know, and he's like, I don't understand English. Yeah. He's fl- fluent in korean because he grew up in korea uh, so that's another example yeah yeah these expecting. assumptions right and of course in what's seen in the media 
Mm-hmm. Right. Because Korea, obviously, even we know media is influenced once again by powerful countries, et cetera, Hollywood. Right. And so what is Hollywood portraying? And this is what comes into Korea as well. Right. We could always speculate, well, what, uh, what if Korea didn't have these influences from the U.S.? Would Korea still have these same racist, racist mindsets? Would we still have this white privilege concept? I'm not entirely sure, you know, if it would be to the same effect. It, there did still exist this divide, you know, between people with fair skin because they didn't work in the sun versus people with darker skin, quote unquote, farmers or rural workers, right? So I think that still did exist, but I don't know if it would be to the same extent, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if any of you have watched Itaewon Class, I think some people have watched Itaewon Class. Did you ever watch it? I don't think you did. No, I, I watched the first few minutes of the first episode. <laughs> okay. That's it. <laughs> I never watched Itaewon Class, but I actually know the actor who um, played in the drama. But uh, one character in there is named Kim Tony, And he is, the character is supposed to be Guinean Korean, I guess New Guinea, mm-hmm. maybe Guinean Korean. Uh, so he's half Korean. He doesn't speak English, doesn't understand English, but he doesn't speak Korean perfectly as well. And um, or I think maybe he is fluent. Oh, he is fluent in Korean, okay, and in French. But he doesn't speak English. But everyone in the drama expects him to speak English. Mm-hmm. Again, it's this this concept, and they would get upset at him. Why you don't speak English? What's wrong with you? Which is, again, some weird, subtle bias that is happening here in Korea. Uh, I can't speak too much on this drama. All I know is when I heard that, one, I was surprised because I know the actor. And I was like, okay. And then two, um, two again, the actor that they chose, he's not Korean. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not half Korean. So it was kind of this weird internal struggle I had between, oh, great, you know, showing people of color in media in Korea, right? right? Having a, a prominent role. It's awesome. And then I was like, but wait, what about my, you know, half Korean brothers? Where are they? It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, man, they could have reached out to me. They could have asked you. Honestly. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you know. So it's like, <laughs> thank, we're thankful for the attempt yes. uh, at representation, but yeah. it's kind of like a little bit of a misrepresentation from my perspective, mm-hmm. but baby steps. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's <laughs> better than nothing. Yeah. Uh, and we hope to see more positive representations happening in the media because we know there's a new generation growing up in Korea and we would love for them to have role models in media, Mm -hmm. seeing somebody who looks like them, who's being a prominent person in society and not just pigeonholed into a certain expectation of what they're supposed to be like. So that is something that we strive to see happening here and we'll keep working towards that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we could be a part of that. Yeah, of the representation. you should be in the next drama though. That's you. I'm down. Kim Sedi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be down. We'll, yeah. we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see. You and I know what uh what's going down soon. Oh but, yeah. Uh, yeah. We won't give it away guys, but no. he might be in a drama. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Keep your fingers crossed. All right. Well, that's all I have here. Um, It's a very heavy topic. And if you want to learn more about that, I do recommend doing your own research, doing your own study. And as always, you can get in contact with us if you've got questions or you've got your own stories. And I imagine your experiences will all be very different, especially if you were growing up in Korea in a different generation than us. So we want to hear from you. And that being said, it's time for Listener Mail. So we love getting listener mail from you guys. And uh, we had this email come in. This is pertaining to our Mongolian Blue Spot episode that came out some time ago. So here it goes. Hi, guys. Just listen to your topic or your podcast on the topic above. And I loved it. I was so happy to find people talking about this subject. There's so much written on this topic, but I can't always find it together in one place. The, this is specifically means has different meanings for different cultures. And I know you guys put so much time and energy and research into all of this. Thank you for recognizing that. And uh, anyway, so she says her daughter is one years old and she was born with a Mongolian blue spot. And at first, the doctors said it was a, a malignant mole, right? Or blue nerve, nervous. I'm not sure what she means by that, but apparently something that didn't make her feel too good. And they said, it's not, it can't be a Mongolian spot because for her baby, this is just one big 
giant spot. And uh, they were really scared. It really scared her when they said this to her at the hospital. They didn't even mention the Mongolian spot. Oh, so I guess, yeah, it doesn't seem to be something very commonly recognized, perhaps, or people don't right. know exactly what it is all the time. So they said, if you want to validate it, go see a dermatologist. So she saw a skin specialist, and she was Asian. She seemed very nice, and she looked at her baby's skin with a magnifying glass and said, oh, yeah, this this is uh, the Mon- Mongolian spot, or congenital dermal melanocytosis. <laughs> <laughs> you remember we had trouble saying that? Yeah. Right. So a more scientific term for it. I was relieved when I heard this because uh, the baby's father had told me not to believe the doctor as well. And my families and friends had said the same thing. So hearing this news from a specialist on skin just made me feel so much better knowing my baby is fine. So she's from the Dominican Republic. Baby's father is Jamaican. And she didn't know anything about this skin condition until she saw it on her baby. So I want to thank you so much for talking about this topic. And now I'm your number one fan. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. God bless you for all you do. Hope you guys continue making a difference on people's lives. Sincerely, Anna. Thank you so much for that message yeah that's awesome that is so cool i would have never imagined that that episode would be impactful to so many people apparently a Mm -hmm. lot of people wrote in saying when their baby was born they had no idea what this was they heard the episode like oh my gosh i didn't need to freak out at that time right yeah (laughs) apparently quite quite more common than i expected absolutely Mm -hmm. we also want to read another listener mail from another fellow halfy by the name of thomas Mm -hmm. and he says I want to say that I love that there is something like the Happy Project. Where was this 20 years ago? Yeah, where was it? I mean, I have the same question too. Mm-hmm. I'm half Korean. I grew up in Bossier City, Louisiana in the mid-90s. Oui. I was the only person of Korean heritage back then for the longest time. In high school, there were some Koreans, but they were quote-unquote full Korean. And so they, they weren't, I guess their experience wasn't the same that I had growing mm-hmm. up. I grew up in both an American and Korean household. I was fortunate enough to grow up with my mother and her family in Louisiana. Mm. Along with them and the small Korean community, and I do mean small from the local Korean Presbyterian church. I'm sure we can all relate to that. (laughs) I would say that I was more immersed in Korean culture than most would in similar circumstances to my own. My aunt and uncle do not speak English very well. And though my mother is fluent in English and hardly has an accent, I know she is more comfortable expressing herself in Korean. Can totally relate to to you, Thomas. Growing up, I had difficulty being able to speak to my mother, uncle, and aunt about their past Mm -hmm. and how they grew up because of the language barrier. This is very common. Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. So So in a way, Uh, I don't really know them as most would know about their parents and family lineage. Mm -hmm. I feel the opportunity of a deeper connection is or can be lost. Thomas continues to write, my Korean is a work in progress. Because of growing up with my mother's family, I have an ear, so to speak, for Korean. When I would come home from college during the holidays, I would be able to recall more and speak uh, with them in a very basic way. But to have deep conversations about how they feel about things still evades me. And now, as they get older, I feel it is a race against time for me trying to learn Korean so I can hopefully really have a conversation with them before they pass away. Mm. On a side note, I realized that because of my mother's family and the Korean community I grew up with, the Korean I know is not the same as the Korean that is spoken in Korea today. As in this small Korean enclave of Korean women mostly who came to the U.S. in the late 70s and 80s speak a shade of Korean from the 70s and 80s, which is what I know to be Korean. I just always thought that was interesting. Thank you so much for letting me share a bit of my story. I very much appreciate the work that you do, Thomas. That is a very, very astute observation. Listen, I felt like I wrote this letter because that is totally 100% my experience. Mm -hmm. And I think every single point that you brought up, Thomas, is how I felt growing up. Growing up in the 90s, Mm. being a 90s kid uh, with a small Korean community in my location, uh, you know, I sort of had that same feeling of wanting to know my family's roots and stories at least on the korean side mm-hmm. but there was that language barrier yeah uh yeah so i could totally relate to that and fortunately i was able to in the last couple of years really sit down with my mom Mm-mm. and wrote out my questions in korean so that she would be able to answer fully in korean her experiences growing up and why she came to the states and uh luckily i was able to capture that but uh, i totally i totally get it you know my yeah. mom's getting older too so thomas thank you for for writing that in yeah i think that it encapsulates a lot of feelings that 
half Koreans who grew up in the States will experience very strongly, um, especially if you don't have the Korean tongue to a level of fluency where you can connect on very difficult topics. And uh, talking about your family and their history and past, it's difficult talking to your family as is, especially when you're talking about the past or long hurts or whatever, because it can feel awkward. But especially when you have these additional barriers like language or culture, misunderstandings, it can be exceptionally difficult. And so I feel a lot of half Koreans feel the same way, Thomas. And uh, we just want to encourage you that you're not alone in that. Um, and feeling that way, and also trying to learn Korean is is um, not only going to make you feel more in touch with your Korean side and your Korean culture and background, but it's also going to open up doors of conversation between you and your family, and that's priceless. Yeah. So we wish you the best on that, and uh, don't give up, because Korean is a difficult language, so <laughs> keep it up, and totally. for all of you Korean language learners out there, you guys will eventually reach that point. Language is just a matter of study and practice, so we believe in you. All right, thanks for writing in those great emails. If you guys uh, who are listening to this episode have anything you else would like to say, you can email us at thehalfyproject at gmail.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, like, leave a comment below, subscribe to the channel. And you can, of course, listen to podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. That's it. We'll see you next time. We are The Happy Project.